0: Welcome to the Adventure Cafe podcast. I'm your host Emma-Jane Fry and we're heading to the UK this week to speak to the first British African man in history to have flown solo around the world. From a young age Loli developed a keen interest in aviation after flying with his uncle in Nigeria and knowing that he wanted to become a pilot he later studied aerospace engineering before setting off to fly solo around the world in an aircraft half the size of an average family car. Let's hear how and why he did it. Hi Lola, thank you so much for being here. We are taking adventure travel to another level this week. Now you are the first British African man to have flown solo around the world and I'm excited to hear about that journey and how it all began. So can you introduce yourself?
1: My name is Lola Odidroon and yes, you are right. I am the first person um, from Africa to have flown around the world and the ninth British
0: man to have done so as well. Amazing. I just, how did that all begin? You know, because I know that, that first of all, even the financial costs for anybody to become a pilot and to, you know, to be able to fly are usually something that, are, are, you know, it's up against most people. So how did it all begin?
1: I think, to be honest, it was just a dream and it began when I was more or less aged 10, between 10 and 14. But by the time I turned 14 and I went flying with my uncle i realized I found my colleague. And um, the flying around thing at the time was just, you know, staring up at airplanes and thinking well, what it would feel like flying around the world because I knew that's what airplanes do. And um, over time, I think reality kicked in. And I realized flying around the world wasn't, wasn't for people like me. I had no money. And there was no way I could do it. But I just kept at it. So it was the tenacity that actually put me through. So I had a dream which was... In thousands and thousands of pounds and there I was with less than tens of pounds so I think it's just been resolute to be honest with you.
0: It, reality can be annoying sometimes can't it?
1: <laughs> it draws you back sometimes. <laughs> it does <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, the biggest challenge any explorer is occasionally reality. With some kind of mindset work, we can get over that usually. So I just want to take you back. You're flying with your uncle. Yes. Where are you? Are you, in, are you in the UK or are you in Africa at this stage?
1: Right. So I was born in England. I was born in London next yeah. to uh, Westminster. And then I... At a very young age, moved to Nigeria with my parents and lived there till I was 18. And um, it was when I was 14 that I flew with my uncle in Nigeria.
0: Okay, so you're flying with your uncle in Nigeria, and then from that stage, how how and when did you actually, you know, get your pilot's license? How did that happen? Well, so
1: from that first flight with my uncle, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I came to England, and the first thing I did was to run into August, bought myself a bicycle, and started doing some serious finances. And it took me about um, just over a year and a half. Actually, a lied, about two years to save enough money to go and do what was a PPL, uh, my private pilot license. And, you know, there I was um i was expected to do this in three months and did it all in 19 days but that was just because i was just purely purely i was hungry if you if you like just to become a pilot so i aced all the seven exams and all the 40 hours of flying in 19 in about uh, 17 days actually and i got my license on the 19th day
0: wow that's incredible so at that point did you start were you did you start flying commercially after that
1: no um again um Flying an aeroplane would cost me set you back about a hundred thousand pounds. That phase of flying, the initial phase, cost me about six thousand pounds at the time, and so I needed another ninety-four thousand pounds, as it were, to just just
0: another ninety-four thousand pounds. You know.
1: Yeah. Well. <laughs> That, that's the thing. If, if if I make this unrealistic, on un- unattainable, then it will be it will be unattainable. I just had to make. I mean, the figures were just like a, just another number. But again, if I got defeated by the challenge of looking for this money, then I guess it was out for me, you know. So yeah, so I had to find another ninety four thousand pounds, and it took another further ten years before that came through. So again, an average an average kid which is why I, want, I really want to connect with the kids. An average kid would have given up. Um, the only thing I lost out on was uh, doing the naughty stuff, you know, so I was pretty much a straightforward guy, you know, trying to save all the bits I could. I could uh, get my hands
0: up. Yeah. So what was your motivation for the actual, for the round the world trip? How did that happen? You know, from kind of getting your pilot's license. When did that idea take place? Like what was the seed? Because usually I find with expeditions, there's something, some kind of seed is planted somewhere, you know, before it becomes reality.
1: I I, I suspect the seed was planted around about when I was 14, like I said. And when I became a pilot, 19 oh sorry 2008 a commercial pilot that was and i started flying commercially in 2011. i thought the uh, the bug would have left me because now i've achieved what many would think you know it's the ultimate job so i'm now flying passengers i'm a commercial pilot but the more i flew passengers the more i realized that um I still wasn't satisfied. I still want to fly myself around the world. So uh, going back to your question, I think the sea was definitely there or planted around about when I was 14. And in 2005 was when I first put paper, pen to paper. Making the full plans to fly around the world.
0: Now I know I know from experience that expeditions don't happen overnight. You know they they do take planning and they do take time. So what, you know, what challenges did you face with the planning to the journey, and you know how did that really pan out? How did you overcome things?
1: Yeah. So the first, the two major, the two major challenges, I I would think I faced given my experience, is the first one being, it's not cheap to fly around the world, trust me. The <laughs> second the second bit was um, working with people that were not on the same, that could not understand you. So in the end, you had to do it all alone. So I think one of the greatest lessons, I could have gone to Harvard for five years, and I would never have learned what I learned on this trip. One of the hardest things to learn, to come to realize is sometimes, and it's similar to billionaires, I'm sure. Is sometimes that not everyone would operate on the same wavelength and capacity as you can. And when people can't see a vision, you cannot expect anyone to put in ten percent, let alone hundred percent. So um, there was a lot of doing it alone, and I think that was the hardest part. And and that's simply because not pe- not everyone could actually see what I was seeing. So and then it boils down to the um, odd bits of you know little logistical issues but i guess that comes with every project
0: basically yeah totally so what was it, what was your actual route where did you start where did you finish
1: right my route my route changed three times because i wanted to start from africa no i wanted to start from england initially and i couldn't get the funding so i moved to africa for a few years looking for funding and then i wanted to start from africa Again, I couldn't get enough funding. And I decided, you know what, when the money came just about by the aeroplane, I said, you know what, around the world trip, in theory, is starting from one point and going back to the same point. Yeah. So I started from Washington, D.C. It was Washington, D.C. to New York, New York to Bangladesh Bangalore to Goose Bay, Goose Bay to uh, Reykjavik, Iceland, from Iceland, I went to Wick in Scotland, from Scotland to London, and I had a whole barrage of um, failures and technical issues with the aircraft. And then, um, which I think was the third hardest part of the whole journey, uh, the whole project, uh, technical breakdowns. So, so from London, I then stopped for about two, three months fixing the airplane, flew to Valencia, from Valencia to Malta, and from Malta, I flew into uh, Italy because I had another few problems with the airplane, Italy to Arachlan, Arachlan to Egypt, Egypt I went down to Djibouti, from Djibouti I went to Oman, from Oman to Pakistan, Bangladesh, Thailand. Now, the, the, the other biggest challenge was the monsoon because... We only hear about the monsoon, and it was rather unfortunate. It took me three months to get past the monsoon season because I got into the uh, region in the, in, the, in the, like, literally bang smack in the middle of the monsoon, and something that never happened before in Australia in 70 years happened, where they had a lot of flash flooding. Uh, people died in the national parks, and I just barely landed, barely made it to London. So um, that taught me a lesson or two, and uh, I think that shake me up. And I left the airplane again for another month, uh, six weeks waiting for the monsoon to die down. And then I flew through the Pacific Ocean where the, uh, the real journey was because now you are flying without any uh, contingencies. And, you know, if anything had gone wrong, you'd be gone. And I'm sure we all know the story of Amelia. We still can't find her till today. So uh, it's going to be another case of his gun and never be found again. So through the um, Pacific Islands, I went from uh, Australia to Port Vila, from Port Vila to Pago Pago, American Samoa. And then American Samoa, I went into Christmas Island, which is one of the most beautiful places on earth. Uh, one flat per week. <laughs> And from Christmas Island, I went to Hawaii, saw an active volcano that's been going on for years, about 28 years or so. And then from Hawaii, I flew to Tracy in California, Tracy to Texas, to, uh, from Texas, I flew to, uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. And finally, finally, touchdown back into Washington DC
0: and how long what was the time scale for that how long did that take you
1: right it took me nine months but it would have taken a well constituted team approximately eight weeks between six to nine weeks it would have taken anyone but don't forget like I said I had no support for nobody apart from the sponsors uh, which later came on I don't know if you know uh, Bruce Dickinson I made it, so he came along helped me out as well but um yeah it was pretty tough
0: incredible I just want to touch back around a little bit more on the plane itself and I'm not going to pretend I'm not going to pretend Lola to know that much about planes but you said you know a couple of technical difficulties and you know I do ride motorbikes and if I have a technical difficulty with the motorbike I'm on the ground and I can just get somebody to help me so what happens when you have technical difficulties In a very small plane.
1: Right, okay. So I think this is the, uh, um, by no means, I'm not trying to claim I'm a good pilot. I don't think I'm a good pilot. I don't think I'm a bad pilot. I think I'm just an average pilot. You you Um, must
0: be a fairly good pilot.
1: (laughs) No, I'll put myself in an an average region. Um, I think this is where uh, your other senses, the survival uh, side of you comes out because I've had one or two um, instances of failures where, for example, when I was training to fly around the world, I suffered an engine failure in the Sahara Desert, and I started to freak out and then realized to pitch for something we call VY. And as I pitched for VY, the plane refused to go down because I was riding a thermal, which glider the pilot's world. So uh, it's it's very nice to have a few, if you like, varied experience like you know in terms of flight you know things like flying uh gliders or paramotors or uh parachutes or having a fair understanding of principles of flight so that helps me a little bit also if you have like a electrical failure switching off every single thing in an airplane and trying to conserve the battery uh, um, And going down to basic navigational skills, even down to your iPad, could save Mm -hmm. your life if you need about two, three hours. So you have to become very, very, very um, uh, flexible. And you just have to have it, basically. That's the one thing you can't teach anyone i think yeah how how do you teach someone to survive well you can in theory teach them how to survive
0: now for for people listening that do actually know about planes what plane were you in
1: i was in a beautiful aircraft called the cirrus sr-22 so i had literally the first production line one so it was more or less a prototype that i had and you know what that means having a prototype of anything so all the technical breakdowns and stuff, you're going to be the scapegoat, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and then two, three years down the line, to start refining it and making it better. So I had the first one. And obviously, one of the reasons why I had the first one was that was all we could afford. That was all I could afford at the time.
0: Yeah, which actually leads me to my next question, which is... You just so well to overcome all of those obstacles. And I think it's so easy for any of us trying to do anything, you know, whether it's an expedition or. You know, just something like a small change of life, moving houses, or you know, that it always, its very easy, isn't it, to look at the problems instead yeah. of the solutions. And what would you, you know, what would you recommend? What would you tell people? I think because you've overcome quite a lot.
1: Yeah, I think I think I think the hardest thing in any expedition or project is is the first step. And I think usually I find personally once I've taken that first step. I'm usually okay. So something has to create that impetus. And it's what's the most resistant stuff for me. Once I break that elasticity of, you know, maybe being complacent or being uh, or procrastinating too much, once I do the first thing, I'm usually okay. Yeah, um, that's
0: true, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's what I find personally.
0: Yeah, definitely. So you finished this, this you know, incredible journey. Can you summarise, and maybe you can't because it is such an epic kind of, you know, it's such an epic adventure. Can you summarise what you took from that journey, what you learned from it?
1: I think the greatest thing I learned was myself. <laughs> yeah. I found out a lot of things about myself. And I think what I did learn was impossible was nothing and mm. it's, it all boils down to your mental strength and I've come to realize thanks to this project that I could do anything I set my, my eyes up. My next project now is breaking the old time altitude record. Even though that sounds crazy, mm-hmm. it sounds like I'm going to need a lot of money to do it. I just have this feeling, this very good feeling in me that I'm just going to do it. So, um, and I will be unstoppable because if you don't have that self-conviction and Trust me, Emma, you need a lot of self-convictions to do things like this because at times I doubted myself. There was one time I had a breakdown, I cried, and, you know, after crying I felt so good. It was like a release of stress, and it was back to the drawing table. I'm like, okay, there's got to be a way out of this. So I found that ultimately you could do anything as a human being. You just have to have the right frame of mind to do it.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. What are you doing now and what's next for you? I know that you're public speaking and you yeah. are getting involved with the youth leadership. So what's next for you? Right, the
1: big, the big thing next for me is my altitude record. And I'm yeah. um, pleased to tell you, I feel like I'm totally relaxed coming back now to life after that epic event. So I've just literally gone back, just gone back to commercial flying. Uh, I've kind of missed commercial flying flying and i put on my facebook page yesterday i said i just woke up with the love of aviation all over again so that's um, great it's back to the drawing board um i need to really get this on the way now this altitude thing i i start flying gliders next month so uh properly because i want to learn one or two things from flying real gliders and i'm going to need that for my next project so uh the first thing to do is understand the principles of flight especially when it comes to flying gliders and stuff. So, uh, yeah, there's going to be more things to come, basically.
0: Wow, that's, that's very exciting. Great. We just have time for the lightning round, Lola. So just um, answer these couple of questions for me. My favorite book, tool, or resource is?
1: My favorite book?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, I'm not good at reading books, but I'll say Famous Five. Okay. That was ages ago. That was when I was a baby. I was, I was literally like seven, eight years old when I read this book. <laughs>
0: That's fine. If that's the favorite if that's the last favorite book you remember, that's great. Yeah. How about the, the best advice I ever received was
1: Never to give up.
0: Totally. Totally. Best purchase for under one hundred dollars.
1: It's got to be a spot tracker. What is so that? It's a tracker, it's a tracker basically. Life okay. tracker.
0: Is that something you like, is that an aviation tool?
1: Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like one of those aviation tools, but it gave uh, yeah 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 it gave my family a heart attack because uh, very quickly I didn't realise that you, you have to switch it off switch it off after every six hours and I was back in the middle of the ocean and it stopped transmitting after six hours and everybody thought I'd gone down but you know
0: oh no <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
0: oh my goodness okay a personal habit that contributes to my success is
1: habit I would have to say I'm a perfectionist maybe I just like to break and fix things again? I don't know. Yeah, I have. I, have. <laughs> I, I like to break toys and put them back together again. Is that a good thing about thing?
0: I have various members of my family that, that do things like that. That brought back memories of my childhood, actually, of my father and my brother breaking things on purpose. Yes. Yeah. To yeah. put them so back together my, again.
1: My motorcycle, for example, never ever sees the mechanic. I fix it myself. And, uh, yeah, I like to break it and fix it. Yeah. maybe it's a little bad then I'm not sure <laughs>
0: okay I will leave all of the links and information in the show notes but if people want to find out more about you where should they go uh,
1: it's my website lolaodujirin.com. so www.lolaodujirin.com. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Adventure Cafe podcast. If you want more, then head over to my website, www.emmajanefry.com. And before you go, don't forget to head over to iTunes, leave a review and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode.